boxing writer and historian Lou Eisen, and this is Ring Talk. And we're coming at you today on uh, Tuesday in uh, August rather than on Sunday because Sunday I was in the hospital because Friday night I had kidney stones. And I'm not going to give you the gory details. I haven't passed them yet. So you can look at the podcast this way. You could actually be watching something historic here as I discuss the Joy Maxim. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson World Light Heavyweight title fight that took place June 25th, 1952. And if my eyes literally come out of my head, you'll say, look, he's passing the stone. But actually, wherever you are, anywhere in the world watching this, when I pass the stone, you'll hear it. I can guarantee you that. Um, this was a, a great fight. I always say it's a great fight, but this was a special fight. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson had won the World Light, uh, World Welterweight title excuse me, against Tommy Bell. One of those uh, great fighters, uh, long forgotten great fighters, and then moved up on um, February 14th, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, 1951, to stop Jake LaMotta in 13 rounds to take the undisputed world middleweight title. And Robinson was very antsy. He wanted to be a, a multi-divisional um, champion. He'd won the welterweight. He'd won middleweight. And because of his weight, he wasn't able to go back down like Henry Armstrong did and win a lightweight title. He had to go up. So he couldn't fight for the world heavyweight title. He had to fight Joey Maxim. And he thought he could beat Maxim. He'd watched a lot of film of Maxim. Maxim was not a quick fighter. He was a smart fighter, technically very smart. Didn't have many knockouts. Had well over um, 116 fights, 22 knockouts. That was it. And 83 wins. So... Maxim had one ace up his sleeve. He had several, one of which was uh, Jack Kearns was his trainer and manager. And Jack Doc Kearns had trained and taken Dempsey, Jack Dempsey, to the world heavyweight title and Mickey Walker to the middleweight title. So he'd been around since the turn of the century. So this was 1952. So there wasn't much that Kearns didn't know. And Robinson's quarter, he had one of the top several greatest trainers ever to have lived in the great Harry Wiley. It was Harry Wiley... Who, made, who should be in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, who made Sugar Ray Robinson into Superman, who made him into this wonderful, wild, beautiful thing that no one could beat. Now, Robinson, who had 174 wins and 109 knockouts, that's an incredible record, was going up and wait for this fight. Now, the thing about that is he, was, he weighed in at 160 and as a middleweight, and the light heavy limit was 175. So Robinson wasn't going to come in much more than, I think he came in at 158, 157. That's as high as he could go. And Maxim came in at 175, 173, 175. And Maxim was a smart fighter, but there was an X factor here. And the X factor in this fight was New York was going through a tremendous heat wave. The fight was going to be held June 23rd, two days earlier, but there was a torrential rainstorm. And it's the kind of rainstorm, this probably happens everywhere today, but we're coming to you from Toronto. And in Toronto this past summer, over the past three, four months, every day or every other day, there's predicted a torrential rainstorm. Don't go outside. And it has yet to happen. So we're a parched city. So Maxim, they can't delay the fight anymore because a second delay would kill the gate. Fans understood you couldn't have held the fight on its original date, the 23rd, because it was raining outside, and the fight was at Yankee Stadium. So they had to fight. But the thermometer at ringside was over 105 degrees, 
Plus, these two guys are fighting under Klieg lights, K-L-I-E-G. And these are very powerful ring lights. The fight's being broadcast on TV. And even if it was the middle of winter, these guys could still fight under Klieg lights. That's how hot the lights were. And then you add that to the fact there was 100%, 100% humidity. And it was brutally hot. You know, Robinson lost over 20 pounds during the fight. He started the fight as a middleweight, ended up uh, just over the lightweight limit. And Joy Maxim lost 10 pounds, so he ended up as a super middleweight. Doc Kearns, Jack Doc Kearns, um, was said to Maxim, and he's one of those guys, Angelo Dundee told me that whenever he was talking to you or talking anywhere, people would stop to listen because there was always going to be a kernel of wisdom in anything that Jack Doc Kearns said. He said to Maxim, listen, you're the light heavyweight champion. The belt's around your waist. You're defending the title. You don't have to attack him. He's got to attack you and beat you decisively. Let the heat destroy him. Let him come after you. You go on the defensive. Let's wait to the later rounds between 10th and 15th rounds, and then we'll go after him after he's expended all that energy. And it was, he was right, and it was the perfect strategy. What was Ray Robinson going to do? People thought, well, he should tamper down his offense and maybe fight not as aggressive a fight, but that wasn't Ray Robinson. It'd be like saying to George Foreman, don't use your power. I mean, that was Robinson's gift. Robinson was one, Trigger Robinson was one of few fighters, along with Muhammad Ali, who could actually knock a guy out while backing up. And that takes tremendous skill. So Robinson starts to fight and he's doing really well. He, he's winning all these rounds and he's winning them decisively and he's moving in and out. His footwork is incredible. He's not hurting. Maxim by any means, not at all. In fact, as Maxim said, you have to remember, when I trained, I sparred with heavyweights, guys that were 200 pounds and up, usually 220 and up. So a guy 158 pounds hitting me is, as Maxim said, it's going to be more of an annoyance than actually something that would hurt me. But in boxing, sometimes it doesn't have to be one punch. It can be an accumulation of shots that short circuits your brain and knocks you out. However, Robinson was landing all those shots, and Maxim was taking them. He just it, it wasn't he wasn't getting hurt, but Robinson was doing the important thing was he was putting rounds in the bank. Harry Wiley was saying to him, "You're outboxing him. You don't need to knock him out. Land your shots and get out of there." Now Maxim wasn't a knockout threat. Maxim won the title against British fighter Freddie Mills, knocked him out in the tenth round, and he, you know, after the fight, they found some of Mills' teeth embedded in uh, Maxim's gloves. Mills was a great favorite, but um, at that time, his favorite, what I mean a great favorite was he was favored in the betting odds in Britain, but they always support their own. Maxim beat him and beat him clean and knocked him out. And it was one of the few knockouts that, um, that he got, you know, in his career. So Chris wants to know, if Sugar Ray Robinson had beaten Joey Maxim, what would he have done next? I think he would have uh, either given Maxim a rematch or gone back down to middleweight. Uh, he could have fought some other light heavyweights, but I don't see him beating Archie Moore, which was the next fight for Maxim, and he lost. I just don't see Ray, Ro Ray Robinson may have had quicker hands, but Archie Moore was very quick, as smart if not smarter than Robinson, and, and could hit just as hard if not harder, and a true light heavyweight. Uh, Zev wants to know, considering that the heat affected the outcome of the fight, 
Why was there never a rematch? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure why there was a rematch. I think that may have been the reason why, because Robinson said the Heat beat me. But Maxim had the great comment. It was just as hot in my side of the ring as well. You know, and, and he wanted Robinson to admit that I didn't fight the correct fight or I ran out of steam or I got beat by a better fighter. And none of those are true, but there just wasn't any, after what happened, I, I don't think there was any call for it. Robinson wanted to leave boxing at that time and, you know, go into entertainment. He'd had enough and he wanted, this was supposed to be his last fight. And then he came back after his retirement, which was really caused by the mafia and they kept putting pressure on him to throw fights and he wouldn't. So he left. He said, the hell with you. I'm the money guy in boxing. When I'm gone, you suffer. And he was right. And then he came back as a middleweight, which was more his regular weight. I don't think there was a rematch because I just don't think he could put on the necessary weight to compete. And I don't think he had any stomach for after that fight to go after another title uh, again. And um, I don't want a mistake I made the other week when I was doing a pod this podcast and I forgot to zoom down and I realized there are other messages. So if I didn't get to your message yet, I apologize. I will try to get to them all today. These are great, great questions. Um, you know, this happened before with Jess Willard and and um, Jack Johnson, when when Willard beat Johnson and Johnson said, well, it was over 100 degrees. And, and Willard said, and that's why I threw the fight. And John, Willard said, well, if you're going to throw the fight, why did you wait to the 26th round? It was blistering hot. Why didn't you just throw it in the second round so we could all get the hell out of there? So not many people believe that. Um, you're asking me, Zev, if Sugar Ray Robinson had fought Harry Graham at middleweight, who would win? I, I think Robinson beats just about everyone at heavyweight. I, I think he was too slick for a guy like Harry Graham. The question about all Graham questions, not, and then that's not redundant, the question about all questions regarding Graham, we don't have any film on Harry Graham. We have film from training. And the big thing in boxing, the late Steve Lott, who worked for Big Fights Incorporated and helped manage Mike Tyson at one point, said, if you want to make a quick million dollars, find actual fight footage in Harry Greb. We know the fights where the film was taken. We just haven't seen it. And I think Robinson, uh, the, one of the reasons why he was called the greatest of all time is that, you know, given the odds, if the odds were equal and everything was equal, you know, pound for pound, which meant if all weights were relative, he's the greatest fighter that ever lived. I think he beats any middleweight before him or after him. I think the only one that would have given him a good fight would have been Marvin Hagler. That would have been it. Um, maybe Monzon because of Monzon's height and superior reach. But I think it really would have been Hagler. Um, that's true. Robinson wouldn't do any further business with Jack Kearns. But a lot of people didn't want to do further business with Jack Kearns. Kearns was a rogue. And... Um, it's a scrapbook boxing. You're right. And a lot of people didn't want to do business with him. They recognized that he was smart. He was like one of those baseball or hockey players that you hate on the other team, but you're happy when he's in your team. Kearns was a rogue, but he knew what he was doing, and he knew how to win in the sport. Um, you're right, David. David Chase says, um, this, is a very con Zev, this is a controversial question because blatantly Robinson is widely considered the best by almost all boxing experts, and that's true. Most of them have it Robinson, uh, Willie Pep, and Henry Armstrong. And sometimes the order gets changed with Armstrong first, Robinson second, and Willie Pep. So, um, and that's true too. Scrapic Boxing mentions that when Moore fought Maxim, Moore made 800. He made $800 while Maxim made 100,000. 
Archie Moore should have been champ 10 years before he was, but because of his skin color and the racism of the time, wasn't given a chance. So he gets a chance for nothing. He beats, wasn't for nothing, eventually made money. He beats Maxim, and until he can get free of it, Maxim, he's got to fight him twice more and beat him, you know, convincingly twice more. And, of course, with that fight, uh, he also not only won the World Light Heavyweight title, but he won Jack Doc Kearns. That was part of the deal. And, of course, Kearns helped Moore's money go way up exponentially. So uh, I agree with David that Harry Greb should be in the conversation based on who he faced. Uh, but it's a question you can't answer. Angelo Dundee told me, you know, when you get, he called them parlor questions. It's fun to say who would, who would Robinson have beaten Harry Greb, would Greb have won? Would Ketchell have beat Marvin Hagler? The, the simple mac, fatter of the mac is fatter of the mac. Matter of the fact is, excuse me, we don't know because they didn't fight. So as my Angela would say to me, saying if this happened, if that happened, and as Angela would say, you know, if my grandmother had testicles, she'd be my grandfather. Didn't phrase it that way, but in other words, we never know. It's only an it's only an assumption. Uh, yes, Harry Greb David did face an extraordinary number of great fighters. Uh, and Robinson, um, Greb fought from welterweight all the way up to heavyweight while giving up the 50 pounds. That's very true. And Robinson fought welterweight to light heavyweight. But the, the, the weight divisions weren't as pronounced when Greb was fighting. In other words, not as big a thing was made about him. But it doesn't take away from his accomplishments the fact that he was 160 pounds. And because of his speed and toughness, he was able to handle heavyweights uh, relatively easy. So it, we're gonna, we'll get back to Maxim Robinson, which is what we're talking about. So Robinson's putting rounds in the bank. He's winning the, these early rounds. He's dominating Joey Maxim. Maxim doesn't have the speed or the footwork. And Kearns is saying, don't worry. He's expanding his energy. And you can see first five, six, seven, eight rounds, Robinson is the dominant fighter in this fight. That's what he's doing. He's He's easily getting in, landing five or six shots, which is Harry, Harry Wiley's telling him this. Don't stand there and plant your feet for good like you're going to knock him out. You're not going to knock him out. He's a brick wall. Get in there, land your punches, get the hell out. The idea is to win the fight. You don't have to knock him out. Just win the rounds. Put rounds in the bank. And Robinson was putting on a great show as he was putting in rounds in the bank. And after five, six rounds, you know, the announcers are saying, and I think everyone knows, then at Yankee Stadium, that Robinson's ahead six rounds to nothing. There's only nine rounds to go, and then pretty soon Maxim's going to be in a position where he's going to have to knock Robinson out because he's too far behind the fight. And seven rounds, eight rounds, and you can hear the announcers say, you know, well, that was the eighth round in the books, and I have Robinson ahead winning all eight rounds. And he had. He'd won all eight rounds. That meant it's a 15-round fight. There were seven rounds to go. So eight rounds, and that was that was in the books. He was at eight to nothing. That meant that Robinson just had to stay on his feet for seven more rounds. You hear that a lot in boxing. You know, he only had to stay on his feet for a couple more rounds, two rounds, one round, three rounds. It's not an easy thing to do when you're in the ring with a guy that wants to cave your head in. And a guy who who is technically, you know, a brilliant fighter in his own right, and you're fighting in over 105 degree heat and 100% humidity. So it wasn't easy. Robinson still couldn't just go out there and wait. If he stood still and did nothing, you know, Maxim would come after him. Maxim was trying to hit him, but Robinson was so elusive and so brilliant. 
at slipping shots and sliding shots. And one of the great things Robinson did, I know Angel Dundee loved it, was he would slide under his opponent's shots. And every time he did that, he'd whack the guy. If you made a mistake against Ray Robinson, he could knock you out. And if he couldn't knock you out, he would come in and land five, six, seven shots. Robinson was smart because Robinson was going after Maxim's body. He was saying, well, I'm not going to hurt him to the head. He's got a chin of granite. So Robinson was destroying, trying to destroy Maxim's body. And you have to remember, you know, Robinson's 158 pounds. But Maxim had trained with guys that were 210, 215, 220, hitting him in the body. He was used to that. So a guy that was 158 pounds and rapidly losing weight during the fight wasn't going to make much of a dent. And as the fight progressed, of course, you know, Robinson's getting more rounds in, into the bank. And you got to understand that after 10 rounds, you know, Robinson's sitting there thinking, if he could think under that blistering heat, and it's Cornish thinking, we got 10 rounds in, that's it. You know, and Harry Wiley's saying, five more rounds, Ray, five more. 15 minutes from now, you're the undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world. You'll be the only one, the welterweight, who'd won the only person to win welterweight, middleweight, and light heavyweight honors as undisputed. So he did. He kept going, and you have the, the 11th round, and you have the 12th round. And as you get to the 10th round, Robinson is starting to noticeably tire. And, you know, 9th, 10th, he's still moving, but he's not moving as much. He's more flat-footed. He's still ducking shots, but he's moving back to the ropes and covering up in the ropes and resting on the ropes. The other big factor that came into play was because of the weight difference. Maxim had 18 and a half pounds on him, was physically a bigger man. Maxim made a point, because of what Kearns told him, to lean on him every chance he got in the clinch against the ropes. So when they would clinch, you know, Maxim would just be almost like a kid. You're trying to drag out of a bank when the kid, oh, I don't want to be here and goes limp. Maxim would just lean his entire weight in Robinson. And that's a draining thing in that blistering heat, humidity, to have to lift this guy up and then push him off. And that was taking a lot of um, energy out of Robinson. The other thing I noticed, although it never would have occurred to them back then, is in between rounds, fighters are you know getting water and Robinson's spitting it out, but they're getting dehydrated with each passing round. And Maxim was actually keeping his water down. He wasn't spitting it out. He'd drink. He kept drinking. Because Kearns knew. I'm sure Harry Wiley knew, but it wasn't tradition then. You thought, it was thought if you swallow the water and you get hit in the stomach the next round, you're going to get terrible cramps. But Kearns thought, well, you know, it's the, the heat is so brutal that my guy could get, you know, heat prostration or sunstroke. Not sunstroke, but heat prostration, and he could get dehydrated. So... It's better he drinks water. And he was having Maxim drink a lot of water, trying to keep him hydrated. And you have to understand, during the fight, there's 10, 12, 15, 20 fans that are collapsing and being taken out because of heat prostration. These are fans. It's hard when you watch it, and you're watching guys at ringside are fans in a suit and tie, and it's 105 degrees. I mean, my attitude would have been a big sun hat, shorts, T-shirt, and sandals. You want to have as little clothing on you as possible. In fact, after the 10th round, referee Ruby Goldstein collapsed. And he'd been very active in the fight because there were a lot of clinches. So he was a smaller man. He had to break the clinches. And he was very good at dancing around the fighters, trying not to get in their way. 
But you see him near the end of the ninth, and during the tenth round, he's hanging on to the ropes just to hang up, just to hang up, just to stand straight up. And and then at the tenth round, after the tenth round, he staggers to the ropes. The referee looks at him and says, "You're dehydrated," and you know he has to be helped from the ring. He's dizzy, and his spot is taken over by a former great featherweight fighter, Ray Miller, who actually beat the great Jimmy McClarnett. Ray Miller was a great referee in his own right, and he had the referee from rounds 11 to 15. And it's a good thing he was there. So you have the 10th round, you have the 11th round. Um, I see David mentioned Charlie Burley. Yeah, Ray Robinson didn't want to fight Charlie Burley. I have a great book on him, I think by Alan Rosenfeld, I believe it is. Charlie Burley is one of the great all-time fighters. He was a welterweight, middleweight, light heavyweight. Burley uh, wasn't ever given a chance at a world title because of the color of his skin and the racism of the times. Plus, you combine that with his tremendous talent, he was denied his opportunity. But when you ask fighters from that era who was the best fighter of that era, they would all say Charlie Burley. Burley was an incredible one. Um, Lou, who stands the best chance, sports culture gaming, at beating Sugar Ray at his welterweight peak, 147 pounds. Well, I don't think welterweight was his peak. I think uh, you mentioned Sugar Ray Leonard. Robinson was a taller man than Leonard. Robinson fought briefly at welterweight. His goal was always to be a middleweight, but he was told by Mike Jacobs, the promoter and others, that he was never they were never going to give him a chance to fight for the middleweight title. So he had to fight Tommy Bell for the welterweight title, and he beat Kid Gavilan. He beat some good welterweights, and some of them who went on to become middleweights. So um, to beat him at welterweight, that would be difficult. Uh, I would say at welterweight, maybe Roberto Duran, maybe Sugar Ray Leonard, but he was only a welter for so brief a time, it's hard to actually pick a guy from the future or back then even who could have beaten him, possibly Charlie Burley, but that fight never came across. And um, Nick Leishman says, Leishman, excuse me, Nick, to be perfectly honest here, if it wasn't for the heat of that night when Sugar Ray Robinson fought Maxim, we will all be talking about how Robinson, Sugar Robinson, added the light heavyweight world title. And that's true. But ifs and ands don't count in boxing. We can only go by what actually happened. So you could say the same thing about Jack Johnson and Jess Willard. The referee back then said, you know, if the fight had only gone 20 rounds and it was a 20-round bout, which would have been normal, Johnson retains his title. But the fact that it was a 40-round bout in that kind of heat, and Johnson was 37 years old, he just couldn't stand up against that heat and, and, and the added pressure of Willard's titanic right hand. So, And Willard wasn't that good a fighter. So you can say if, but the fact is the weather did come into play and affected how – but it also affected Maxim equally. He, he just tampered down his attack. But I do agree with you, um, uh, Nick, because – I've always been a, a fervent advocate of the fact that weather shouldn't affect the outcome of a sports event, whether it's baseball, football, and especially boxing. But unfortunately, it does. So that's just the way it is. Um, he was winning the fight by miles, and and um, uh, they had – yes, I'm just reading what you're saying about heat exhaustion. Um yeah, uh, so we do know that when the fight ended, you know, this was 11th round, 12th round, uh, Robinson threw a right hand, missed, fell down on his face, face 
slammed against the canvas, got up. But after the 13th round, he went to the wrong corner. He wasn't, he wasn't walking. He was staggering. He was reeling. You know, he could barely keep his balance. And his cornerman had to get him and take him back to his corner. And it, uh, Dr. Vincent Nardiello looked at him and said, you know, he's suffering from, from uh, heat exhaustion, as uh, Nick kindly points out. And he's extremely dehydrated. And, you know, his core temperature has gone up. We got to, his life is imminently in danger. So they take him to the dressing room. They put him under a cold shower for a long time, which is what the doctor said to do. You got to get his body temperature down. And that worked. You know, today, if you get into a shower and you turn on the heat, the water, and it comes out all hot, you jump back. And if it comes out all cold, you jump back. But Robinson didn't move, which meant he was in seriously bad shape. And that cold water was coming down. Robinson, um, up to that point, after the 13th round, I think the scorecards had Robinson winning 11 or 12 of the 13th round of the 13 rounds fought so far. So there was no doubt he was, if he could stand his feet for six more minutes, he could win the fight. But because of the condition he was in, he wouldn't have been able to, as he wasn't, wasn't able to continue. And, Ro and Maxim could very well have stopped him because of that heat. Because you have to remember when he went down from missing a punch, in the 12th or 13th round, he was barely able to get up. And that was from missing a punch. So if Maxim could put shots together, you know, he could have stopped him possibly, but we don't know. And the other thing about that is, you know, Jack Kearns was right. He said to Maxim, he's got to win the title from you. He's got to put on the show. He's got to beat you decisively. Let's wait to the later rounds. Let him burn himself out. And that's exactly what happened. Robinson, you couldn't expect him to do anything less than he did did he, they said he should preserve his energy but preserve his energy for what robinson's hoping to stop him and get out of that cauldron of heat a lot quicker than he did and he just wasn't able to if you watch the fight robinson landed tremendous shots that would have stopped any middleweight or welterweight before him and possibly other light heavyweights of course with the exception of maxim and archie moore but it just wasn't having effect on maxim he was landing but he wasn't hurting Maxim. He wasn't bothering Maxim. Maxim's title was slipping away, but he had such complete faith and trust in Jack Kearns that he knew that Robinson, he could see before him, obviously, a couple inches away, Robinson was starting to fade and fade rapidly and wasn't going to make it to the 15th round because of the brutal heat. Fans who weren't fighting didn't make it to the 15th round. You know, Ruby Goldstein, the great referee, didn't make it to the 15th round. So these, and he barely made it through the 10th round. So you know, when the fight was over after three rounds, Ray Miller was suffering from dehydration. He'd only been in there for three rounds, although he'd been at the fight for a long time. So it was one of the all-time great fights, and it was an exciting finish. People thought that, um, you know, you at that point in time that Robinson may have been finished. What was he going to do? And he did what he did. He, he left the sport, went into entertainment, and then came back and and regained the world middleweight title. Uh, Nick says that because he refused to fall or knock out a fighter at a certain round, uh, that blackballed him from fighting for a world title fight for six years, where he'd beaten already everyone in World War II. Now I understand what you're saying. Uh, right. It, it wasn't because uh, he failed to knock out a fighter at a certain round. It was because that he wouldn't do business with the mob. It was simple as that. The mob wanted him to have some fights, and they would come up and say to him, this is what you do. You lose to Gavilan, you beat him in the rematch, and then the third one's on the level. 
which is what Frankie Carpo said to him. And Robinson had the cojones and, and he had the uh, enough power within the sport because he was the biggest draw that he could say, no, no, it's not going that way. I'm not going to deliberately lose. And Robinson wasn't stupid. He knew that if he lost to Gavlan, it didn't mean that Ma was going to keep their promise. They may steer Gavlan away from him. He may never get another shot. And they knew that guys that did business with the mob ended up losing all their money. They never got paid. So Robinson eventually got ripped off by his own people, unfortunately, and all the businesses he ran in Harlem, which is one of the reasons he had to come back to the sport. So after the Joey Maxim fight, there wasn't an immediate rematch because Robinson had had enough. And he wanted to go into entertainment. He didn't want to go through this grueling training process anymore. And he didn't, he didn't want to have to deal with the mob which he could fight off, but for how long? So when he came back, he had no choice but to make a deal with with uh, James Norris and and the IBC International Boxing Club, which was run exclusively by, by Frankie Carmo and Blinky Palermo. And he had to make a deal with them to get back into the middleweight picture. And that was sad that he had to do that, but that was the way the sport was run. The New York State Athletic Commission knew it. So did the FBI. He didn't want to get involved. Government didn't want to get involved, and the police didn't want to get involved with the mob. No one cared enough about boxing to actually straighten it out at the time. And this was Robinson's profession. His entertainment career didn't do well. Uh, Joey Maxim, uh, after played a lot of golf, he was into fly fishing. Um, he also, after this fight, I guess in the late 60s, appeared in some softcore uh, musical porn, and there's some posters for that. Um, the two were civil towards each other. I don't think there was a strong friendship, but there was no dislike. And, and uh, you know, Maxim lived to the ripe old age of, I believe, 75 and 79, excuse me. Uh, he was born Giuseppe Antonio Berardinelli, March 28, 1922, died June 2nd, 2001. He took the name Joey Maxim because Giuseppe anglicized to him was Joey. And... And, and when he fought in Europe, they said his left hand, his jab was so rapid, it was like a Maxim Gatling gun. So he took the name, instead of Joey Bernard Berardinelli, he took Joey Maxim. And that was a much easier name to pronounce. It was, it sounded uh, uh, audibly pleasing. And that was the name he took. Of course, Ray Robinson's real name was Walker Smith Jr. And we know that he got Sugar Ray Robinson when he got Ray Robinson, when he appeared in an amateur tournament and the real Ray Robinson didn't appear and so he took the guy's name. And then when he turned pro, someone, a writer, said to George Gainford, his manager, you got a really sweet fighter there, sweet as sugar. And that was that writer who started calling him Sugar Ray Robinson. Other fighters, Sugar George Costner. The only fighter that also had that name, and Ray Robinson said it was okay with Sugar Ray Leonard. But Leonard had asked permission to use that name, which I thought was silly. But out of respect, that's the way Leonard was. He asked, can I use that name? And they said, sure. Robinson said, sure, go ahead and use the name. Robinson, like Joe Lewis before him, he didn't live to an old age. He was born May 3rd, 1921, and died April 12th, 1989. And, you know, he he was um, 67, 68. He had 174 career wins, 19 losses, 109 knockouts, uh, six draws, and two no contests. But Pound for pound, meaning if all weights are relatives and weight didn't matter, Robinson is still considered this day in 2022 the greatest fighter that ever lived. He fought to 1965. He was 44. So this is, you know, 55 years after he retired. 
and the 50s were his decade. So if you look at 51, let's say against Lamada, that's 71 years after maybe his best fight. And he still, he still had a great second and third act to come. Still considered the greatest of all time. He won the world middleweight title five times. And, you know, even in the fights for the middleweight title that he lost, you know, he still made it a close fight. He had a retirement party at Madison Square Garden in 65. Um, you also have to remember Robinson, I think, in my opinion, uh, I sort of lean towards Willie Pep or Henry Armstrong, but that's because Angelo loved Willie Pep and was great friends with him, Angelo Dundee. And he thought Pep did more things well than any other fighter. But when you look at Ray Robinson, sometimes people include what he was like uh, out of the ring. And he was not the nicest fellow out of the ring for parts of his life. But eventually, you know, he changed things around in that respect. He fought Gene Fulmer. When he first fought Fulmer, he lost the world middleweight title. Fulmer was uh, middleweight to punch like a super heavyweight. He was a big, rough tank of a man. And it all seemed almost impervious to, to uh, power punches and to pain. But when they fought in the rematch, Robinson landed what, what matchmaker Tenny Brenner called near Madison Square Garden, the greatest punch ever, the perfect punch. Robinson and Harry Wiley set this up. Uh, uh, he needed room to punch because he was taller than Fulmer and he had longer arms. So Fulmer got him in a clinch. Robinson backed off the ropes. Fulmer led with his head coming in. Robinson caught him with a quick left hook that traveled maybe four to six inches. Fulmer was out, counted out. And I think that was his greatest victory along with the Archie Moore one. Boxing fans, this is what makes it the greatest sport in the world. Forever and a day, for the next hundred, next thousand years, we'll say, well, Robinson quits after the 13th round, six minutes away from being the light heavyweight champion. Is there any way he could have pulled it out? No. You can't go back in time and change the way that your, your tactics were used. But also at that point, he was exhausted. He couldn't, he couldn't stand. His legs were gone. He had to be helped and carried from the ring. So there was no way on earth that Ray Robinson could have hung on. It, it was sad because everyone loved Ray Robinson. In the minds of, of most Americans and fight fans throughout the world, he had gone, he had transitioned from being just a great black fighter to being considered the greatest fighter pound for pound of all time. And people were pulling for him to beat Maxim, who was a good guy, but was essentially colorless. Maxim was bland, boring, drab, and always fought a boring type of fight, but he won until he lost to Archie more three times in a row. It was one of the all-time great fights. I watched it again the other day on YouTube. It's a fight well worth watching because when Robinson's dominating Maxim, he's really dominating him. Maxim is following him around. Robinson's easily slipping his punches. But then you can just see by the, you know, ninth, 10th, 11th round, Robinson's legs are going. And now when, when Maxim's shooting shots at him, Robinson can't just slip them, you know, slide or slide under them you know, or, or duck or whatever. He's just got to, he only can pull back. That's all he has the energy to do. He can't even move out of the way of his legs because his legs are stiff. His legs are shot. So because of that, um, he had to stand there and take more punishment then. Um, they said, uh, yeah, Nick says, can you imagine Ray Robinson fighting for the world middleweight title 27 or 28? He was still coming into his own under Harry Wiley then. He was still fighting as, a welterweight, he may not have been ready to go up uh, at that point, but by the time he was ready to go up to middleweight, he wasn't getting the shot he wanted. So back then, you have to understand, guys like Robinson, you know, fought 80 times, 90. 
before getting shot at a, a world title shot at the welterweight title. And one of the reasons was because Mike Jacobs, the promoter, said we have too many black fighters. That, it's not right, and it's not true, but that's what he said. We have too many black fighters. The public doesn't want to see another black world champion, so we'll do that another time. Even though his people kept saying he draws tremendous numbers, he sells out every stadium, and on TV he's the biggest draw in the sport. But still he had to wait to get the shot at Tommy Bell and then had to still go out and win many more times before getting a shot at uh, Jake LaMotta. And they had six fights. LaMotta won the first one, probably the second one, didn't get the decision. And then six fights in total. And as LaMotta said, I fought Robinson so many times, it's a wonder I didn't get diabetes. Robinson didn't have much money in his later life, but he was helped out by a lot of people. One of them was Angela Dundee's close friend, Mel Dick, who was the largest uh, purveyor of wine and spirits in the Southern United States and has great stories if you get a chance to talk to Mel, if he's still out there, uh, about Ray Robinson. And, uh, you know, Ray Robinson came to Mel Dick's bar mitzvah, drove him there in his Cadillac, and went to his school prom. Imagine having Ray Robinson in his pink Cadillac, driving you and your date to the school prom, opening the car door for you, getting you drinks. I mean, it was just a fantasy world for a young kid. So uh, Robinson goes down as the greatest fighter of all time, pound for pound. And uh, you can say that you can put up any name you want as a welterweight or middleweight, including Harry Greb. But there's no one that you could you could say Greb would give him a good fight. Greb was a very smart fighter, only stopped once. You could say this guy would have given him a great fight as a welterweight. But there's no one you can definitively say this guy would have easily beaten Ray Robinson because it just didn't happen. You have to understand when you look at the amount of total fights Robinson had, you know, I mean, 174 wins, 109 KOs, and only 19 losses. And a lot of those losses were at the end of his career when he was in his middle 40s. And he only got stopped once by Joey Maxim and the Heat at Yankee Stadium on June 25th, 1952. Watch that fight on YouTube. It's got a lot of turns to it. It just shows you how brilliant Matt, um, Sugar Ray Robinson was and how smart a fight Maxim was fighting by letting Robinson wear himself out. Uh, thank you for watching Ring Talk. Uh, we will see you next week with another edition of Ring Talk next Sunday, barring any interruption from my kidney stone. And we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you, everyone, who, who, uh, who commented on the show. And please keep coming back to do so. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and we'll see you again soon. I'm Lou Eisen. Enjoy the rest of your day.